0: Guru Nation, welcome back to another episode. This is not just for YouTube. This is for the podcast. We've got Savannah Erickson from Viva Systems. Um, We're going to discuss a lot of things. Some of them are a little bit controversial, which, Savannah, I'm really glad you're passionate on this topic. Site empowerment. Okay, it's not that often that somebody leaves the site level and it goes on, moves on in your case to Viva, which is an industry vendor, probably the biggest vendor in the industry, and still discusses site empowerment. So you definitely have not sold your soul out to the other side. You're site centric.
1: <laughs> yeah, not that's yet. good.
0: We need that. We need that. So. Before we get into the actual episode, I wanted to talk about uh Viva. Thank you, Viva. Viva is a sponsor of this show. Viva Site Vault. It's amazing. First of all, it's free. Second of all, they're playing the long game where they know that if they empower sites to do their jobs better, they're gonna make their money on the back end, and that comes from sponsors. Um, they already monetize. Primarily off of sponsors and no one else. So they never plan on selling sites anything. It's free tools. Right now it's EREG, it's called Site Vault. If you've been sitting on the fence about switching your ISF electronically, wait no further. Viva Site Vault, it's free, it's easy to do, and you're going to get to dabble in the future of the industry. And if you don't switch, They're going to make you switch at some point. Sponsors are going to just start mandating e-reg at some point, I predict. So you might as well have your own plan and your own process. And Viva is also good at helping sites with their SOPs and things like that. So Viva Site Vault, check it out. Electronic, regulatory. Um, Get yourself modernized. Savannah, thank you so much for coming on.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited
0: so let's go like I know you started as a research assistant before you became a coordinator before you became more of a director at the same site it looks like right
1: yeah so it was two different sites but they're now part of the same site umbrella okay. but That happened after I had left the site world
0: okay I got gotcha. you and those were in Atlanta right Atlanta yep and you're still based in Atlanta So let's go before that. Okay. Before you started as a clinical research assistant, what'd you do? You, how did you even discover this industry? Like, you know, most people, they just stumble into it on accident.
1: Yeah, that's sort of what happened. Um, So I had gone to school for psychology. got my master's. I really wanted to go back and get my doctorate at some point, but I wanted to beef up my CV. So, um, I started just looking for jobs in research. I was really more looking for like academic research, to be honest, not necessarily clinical. Why? Um, why?
0: Yeah, I want to get into the thought process because people are still thinking that way too. I
1: know. Well, actually, I didn't really know that clinical research existed. Mm-hmm. Um, and my whole background and my schooling and all my professors were like, you need to write thesis after thesis you need to do research papers you need to get grants like you need to get all that experience and that's pretty much what you do with when you get your PhD you know like you're basically just doing research and writing about it and trying to be pub- trying to get published um <clears throat> but I found this clinical site um and my background is in psychology so they specialize in a lot of those cms Ooh, educations. nice like like so exciting for me
0: we we'll probably work on some of the same studies
1: oh yeah i i do recognize now that that's not across the board what all the sites work on. <laughs> like coming out of the site world it's so interesting and kind of reflective for me to look back at what i was doing it actually meant it, you know like big picture type stuff but um yeah so I got the job as a research assistant and just kind of worked my way up and then I realized like I really like this and I'm actually kind of good at it so I'm not gonna go back to school
0: <laughs> good for you I think there was an article and I think it was stat news I did like a full podcast on it where there's like this exodus from academia amongst new postgrads you know like younger postgrads um and yeah, I mean, they're finding private industry much better for that, for their career needs.
1: Well, it's hard to get into, you know, like if I were going to go back for my PhD, you're, you're basically applying for a job interview. You're applying amongst like 10 other people. If you and the, prof- you and the professor that you're applying to don't, you know, mesh, or you don't have similar research ideas, or you don't want to work on the project that they're working on, then like. That's it, you're done. And, you know, there are so many schools in the country that offer PhD programs and the specific program that you want. It's crazy competitive.
0: Yeah, I think there's, I mean, we can go on forever about this uh, topic, but uh, we won't. But I think there's a little bit of inauthenticity when it comes to academia, um, spe- specifically as it pertains to compensating and retaining talent. There's sort of like this idealistic notion that we're in the pursuit of science and that should be enough for you. And I mean, what? The majority of the people working there, yeah, they love science, but they also need to make uh, a livable wage for their (laughs)
1: degrees.
0: (laughs) Yeah, they also like to live. (laughs) That's a good one. Okay, so what did you... At the site, okay, you did CRA or uh, clinical research uh, um, assistant, then clinical research coordinator, then site director, all at the same company, relatively quickly. So I'm guessing it was like a small to mid sized site that kind of grew as you were there. Is that correct? Uh,
1: so the first site I was at, I we did a lot of studies. Like we were pumping out probably a hundred. 100 yeah like we were crushing it like you want to talk about an efficient site experience wow yeah like my most active time as a coordinator i had 16 active studies
0: how many coordinators were at that site that was Uh, doing 100
1: it varied um probably anywhere between 10 to 15 at a time
0: wow and what like three pis or so we yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's a good amount. Um yeah, yeah, I'm at six right now with my new site and it's tough, but I can definitely see growing quickly because the studies are out there, especially right now in this this time that we're in. Yeah. Um so you got it from clinical research assistant to coordinator to lead coordinator to clinops lead. Mm-hmm and this was about a 5 year period that you did all this which is relatively quick actually um
1: it felt that way
0: <laughs> like what made them promote you or were you were you like asking kept asking for growth and for new responsibilities or did did they see yeah. something in you
1: i think a little bit of both um i'm i'm pretty ambitious and i I've really like I said I I liked it. I was good at it. I could multitask, I could prioritize. Um, you know, I was I was I was handling my workload that they were giving me. Um and yeah, I like I wanted to be in that leadership role to kind of groom other coordinators to meet that and just continue to build our site into this conglomerate. <laughs> Of so
0: the research. I'm guessing at some point you managed CRCs as like a lead, right? Yeah. I,
1: so I was a CRC supervisor. So I worked with our project manager mm-hmm. on kind of managing the coordinators.
0: So how did you, because this is something I've struggled with a lot. Um, and the way, the only way I know how is just to be super nice to my staff, like really nice. I mean, my wife says, I could be a pushover at times and I lack uh the ability to discipline coordinators. I think I'm getting better at that, but like, how did you manage? Because at some point, like you bring on a new coordinator, they're super excited for about a year. You can, you can start compensating them better. That's the, that's one of the benefits of being at a private site. Compensation yeah. generally matches like your work. um. But at some point, like the, honeymoon period's over and they're, they're looking at you like, Oh, another study. How do you met? Ma- how do you get through that? Like wall? I don't know if I'm even articulating it right, but do you know what I'm talking about?
1: Yes. I think that my sites and again, coming out of it and looking back at my experience has been really reflective. I think my site experience is probably a little bit different than what other site experience looks like. In that my sites, because of the volume we were doing, it was sink or swim. So either you were going to move up and you're going to do good and you were going to, you know, handle your patient load and like get your stuff done, or you weren't.
0: What does that mean? You weren't, they're gone.
1: (laughs) I mean, like, yeah, you you could. Wow.
0: Wow. So, yeah, but how could management afford that? Because like the, it's so hard to get, a coordinator trained right like a new one
1: well so that's where we benefited from having assist research assistants like me working as a research assistant i was working directly with my coordinator um and i think that also helped me i was paired with really great coordinators in the industry i think they've moved on to various like leadership levels at vendors and things as well um so i just i just had like i got kind of lucky i think
0: (laughs) So basically, you didn't really need to motivate staff because they were already mo- like the internal culture of the company was doing that on its own.
1: Sort of, yeah. Which, admittedly, is not great. Um, but when it came to getting experience in clinical research, and if that's what you wanted out mm. of that job, you were a hundred million bajillion percent getting that experience.
0: Is was and did pretty- the company have a lot of turnover?
1: Um. I guess, I mean, I don't know any more than any other company.
0: Okay, so about typical.
1: This this industry as a whole has a lot of turnover.
0: Huge turnover. Huge turnover. So before we get into your career at Viva, because I'm curious to see why you made that jump. Um, You know, helping manage CRC workload. I mean, 100 studies, let's say you're in charge of 16. You know, that's a lot of things to keep in mind. That's a lot of time management skills, figuring out how to balance work-life balance, um, setting boundaries, prioritizing, I mean, everything. Like, how how can a CRC, let's say they're they're a coordinator now, how can they do this? Like, some are having problems doing that with just, like, three studies.
1: Yeah. Well, first and foremost, you have to know which studies are priority, right? Like, every site has those sets of studies where they know this is what our big, these are what our big enrollers are going to be. These are probably not going to be super heavy enrolling. We're uh, mm-hmm. an add-on site for this study, you know, things like that, that you need to consider when you're managing your patients and, and your studies and monitor prep and inspection readiness and things like that. Uh, from there, I think you then go by like how, how many patients are in each study, and the ones with the most you probably need to focus a lot more on because it's a lot more to juggle and the ones with the least you can maybe let edc go a day over (laughs) more than that (laughs) yeah maybe you don't answer that query right Mm. away but um yeah just figuring out like all right i'm gonna stay late on this day or maybe I'm going to come in on like a Saturday morning and just knock this out. So that way I can start fresh that week.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I'm thinking about my CRC. She She's new. She's about six months, six or seven months into it. And she's getting the hang of it really well, uh, Desiree. And she actually asked me this question about three months ago. Like, hey, I have all these monitors because she had four studies at the time. I have all these monitors asking me, you know, everything's urgent. Every monitor says their thing's urgent. And then the in-house CRA is also asking me things and they're urgent. And then the PI wants stuff and the patients want stuff. And it's like, how do I, she actually asked me, how do I prioritize? Like, how do I know what's actually important versus what's not? And what I told her was, you know, patient safety's first priority. So anything involving patient safety directly, that's first. And then you go by basically what you said studies and so she didn't know which studies were important so i explained to her these are the ones you need to focus on right now so everything else can wait It's basically the same advice but it's good to hear from someone else
1: yeah i would definitely say if your pi is asking you for something
0: you probably want to get that first yeah especially (laughs) (laughs) especially if here she's the person responsible for Agreeing to do future studies with you. Okay, so there's two ways we can go here. We came to a fork in the road. Mm -hmm. I think we're going to stay on the topic of operations real quick before we get into more controversial stuff. So preparing for and conducting monitoring visits. Mm -hmm. So as somebody who's dealt with... I mean, if you guys had a hundred studies, like that's a hundred monitors coming in every four to six weeks. Like, do you guys basically had a monitor on site, multiple monitors on site every day?
1: Yeah, every day.
0: So did you guys cater lunch for them or <laughs> what did you do?
1: Um, we did have a really, I learned from the monitors that our monitoring suite was really nice. Cause we had like a whole, cause we, our facility was off of an old hospital. So there were lots of like nooks and crannies that were untouched. <laughs> and so we had a monitoring suite, those essentially like a doctor's office sort of little hallway thing. So they had their own room, they had privacy. Um, But when it came to monitoring visits, we had very specific procedures as a site that we followed so we had an internal quality department sort of like your internal cra's um so as a coordinator you're working very closely with that quality assurance coordinator on what the status of your sources and what your patient binder looks like and then we had a regulatory department that handled all the regulatory binders for us so making sure that those were you know up to date and things like that and then we would have morning meetings every single day that reviewed who is baselining today, who is screening today, who's admitting to our inpatient facility today, who's discharging today, what Um, monitors we have today, what monitors do we have next week. um, And just started preparing kind of like a week or so in advance of those monitoring visits. And then that becomes your priority as a coordinator.
0: (laughs) I'm curious, was this site, um, Connected to a private practice or was it independent?
1: No, we were independent.
0: So all the patients are coming from the community, from your the site's own database, but okay. not from like the patient's provider.
1: No, we had um our patient population was pretty low income. um So we worked a lot off of word of mouth, too, because they're getting paid for this site. They're getting treatment that they're probably not getting otherwise, yep. which yep. is a huge benefit to to them as people and like seeking healthcare. Um, so they, I mean, we had tons of friends and family and.
0: Wow. Yeah. CNS. I know that space really well, actually. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, and then you had to have a lot of raters, psychometric raters and, uh, somebody like you with advanced degrees. I bet you did a few. Did you do any rating? You have a master's I
1: did towards the end of my stint. Yeah.
0: I figured (laughs) we actually have a new, we're getting a new MDD study. Hopefully, fingers crossed. I got a new neurologist slash psychiatrist here. And I was completely honest with the sponsor. Hey, he has no experience as a PI, but he's a sub-I on all these internal medicine studies. And I have 18 years of CNS experience. I could be a raider. So I think like that's the way I positioned it to where we can get it is I'll be a raider. We have other raiders I can train, and we have the patience. So I know that world really well.
1: Yeah, which I mean, I enjoyed it because you see the same people all the time. It's great, especially. Um. So I, spe- my two big indications were Parkinson's and pediatrics. Ah. I was like, those were my bread and butter, and I loved my Parkinson's patients. They wow. were all about advancing that. Medicine and making it better. And it was sad sometimes, you know, like obviously some people that have it more severe than others. And obviously, same thing with the pediatric population, but it was also the most rewarding because of that.
0: Yeah, those are unique um, subsets of CNS. My bread and butter was schizophrenia and bipolar, Mm -hmm. which are also very unique individual yeah. I mean you're talking about people that someday they don't really know what reality is and you're yeah. interview. you're in the middle of an interview and at first like when I first started to do it I was like this person's got to be messing with me right like yeah but the more of these you do you're like no they actually think I had one guy I remember he thought he was Bruce Lee's son and yeah. at first I thought he's joking so I'm laughing he's like no man I'm Brandon Lee and he just kept going on about that, so that was like his thing. That was his delusion. Um yeah. that's really interesting. I think a lot of people. That's another thing we talked about the, acad- uh, the academic exodus. Like advanced degree holders, they don't even realize that psychiatric sites, CNS sites, they need psychometric raters.
1: Uh huh. And that was a hundred percent part of my appeal in moving into that clinical space because I wanted that patient experience. You know, like my end goal at the time was. I want to be a psychologist. I want mm-hmm. to work with these people and make them feel better and provide them with this therapeutic outlet. And for me to be able to get experience, I mean, we did an enormous amount of schizophrenia studies, an enormous amount of depression studies, anxiety, like anything that a psychology master student, it was like, you know, like I can, I can interact with all these people at the same time. I don't even have yeah. to eat practice or like a specific clinic
0: it's such a different world i think we need like the more of these podcasts we do and the shorts that we do um to target these advanced degree holders you know to get them out of academia if that's not something they want i think is a real service to to them to the industry to patients i mean really to everybody um okay so i'm curious then you've pretty much mastered like running the site operations at the site in about five years why did you go to viva how like, did you even hear about viva because sites don't hear about viva
1: yeah um actually a few of my co-workers had started working at viva they were not on the coordinator side of things they were on the quality side of things um so they started working at viva they were like this is awesome you need <laughs> to come work with us
0: what's awesome and- though like for us somebody running sites and seeing patients like what's awesome
1: um, just a culture change. Like, I mean, as you can imagine, I was a little stressed.
0: Get burnt out. Yeah.
1: <laughs> out. Um, definitely done seeing patients. You know, I had reached my peak. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I was ready to move into more of like a project manager role or even moving into like a sponsor space. Just, I didn't want to see patients anymore. like I was. See, so-
0: you hit, you hit that wall I talked about at yeah. the beginning because yeah. I'm, I'm the site owner. I can't go to Viva. I could get sponsored by Viva. I love you, Viva. But like, I need my staff. I need to figure out how to keep them. Like, I need to figure out, Savannah, if you work for me, how to keep you at my site and not go to Viva. I'm trying to figure this out.
1: We, um, Viva is pretty, pretty great. They, (laughs) any tech company is like, and that was such a a different headspace to be in too, like going from being in a clinic and like running across a whole building all day to now sitting at a desk most of my time and working from home and work from home. Yeah,
0: and you did um, this in twenty twenty. So did COVID have a lot to do with this?
1: Um, a little bit. I had left the site space like right, before, like literally the week before COVID.
0: You left like, on your own. You're like, I'm done. You know, it's too much.
1: I can't. I can't. I'm I'm cut off. Yeah. <laughs> cut off. So then that um, that COVID moment hit. alone.
0: That moment alone is like our podcast that we gotta do at some point. Part two. Yep.
1: I'm happy to do it. Okay. Um, but yeah, and then COVID hit and it actually worked out really great because I obviously didn't have much trouble like collecting unemployment and like making sure that my bills were still paid during that time. Cause I wasn't finding any work, let's be real, during a pandemic.
0: Those first um, two months are brutal. People were like God, not sure what to do.
1: It was honestly like the blessing in disguise because I needed that break so badly. I I mean, as much as I wanted to get back into work and and get back into like a routine, I needed the break for sure to like come off.
0: <laughs> okay, so and like you didn't leave due to COVID. Um you quit you resigned a week before literally a week before COVID, you didn't know COVID was going to happen. You resigned. You're thinking, okay, I'm going to take like a few weeks off, get another job. And then boom, pandemic hits.
1: Now I'm taking months off.
0: Now I'm taking months <laughs> off. And then, so your former colleagues said, Hey, you know what? This company Viva is cool and they're hiring.
1: Yeah. And actually, so the story with Viva is really interesting too. And, and I think speaks to their, um, kind of like thought process as a company. So I interviewed for a different position with Viva in May with someone had a great interview. We had great interaction. He was like, I really want you to work with Viva, but I do not think that this role fits you. Like they're not just hiring people to hire people. Like my interview process started in May and I was hired in August, you know, they're vetting you. They want to make sure that you are in it for the right reasons that like, this is, some some place that you know you are going to feel like you're providing value that you feel valued that you're really invested in their product that you're invested in their goals as a company um so yeah i interviewed in may with with someone didn't get it cuz it wasn't the right fit and it absolutely was not <laughs> looking back and then i got um i was offered a role with SiteVault as the product trainer, so I would learn SiteVault and then teach sites how to use it, and that's what I did up until November of 2022. And now I'm more in a consultant space. Wow. With
0: site. so back to your site experience, was the site the site seemed streamlined, like really streamlined? Yeah. Did they use any digital platforms? Did they use Viva? Did they use eSource?
1: So we used eSource because sponsors asked us to use Mm eSource. Like they were sponsor specific studies that used eSource. And the coordinators (laughs) hated that. Oh, the worst. Yeah, I know. The absolute worst. I Um, know. Because they they only provide you with you know two tablets, which I get. It's a big investment to hand someone this tablet, especially because I don't know about your sites, but those almost never get sent back.
0: No, those are terrible. The then re- coordinator, this is why I say like switch. If you have the freedom right now to switch <laughs> to like the a system of your choice, and you've got something like Site Vault for free, switch. Yeah. Right. Sure. And I know Viva doesn't have eSource yet, but they have enough foresight to figure things out. They could connect the dots. But yeah. like when I was coordinating and we used paper source and sponsor mandated, hey, here's a tablet. You have to use this. We thought it was spyware and our patients thought it was spyware, too. And they're schizophrenic. They're like, what are you putting this mic in front of my face for? And it's like, hey, sponsor has to. I mean, these are paranoid schizophrenics Yeah, that we're telling them we're recording you. Yeah, they already think people are implanting chips in their brains, so it okay. didn't make it life a lot easier for us.
1: Oh my gosh, or like the central rated interviews where someone is video. Yeah. Oh, yeah,
0: well, I had That's- one guy. He thought we were the CIA. He thought we were like a front for the CIA, and he was like, "Oh, you're gonna make me talk to this guy. You guys are CIA, huh?" And he was They're like, kept telling me
1: reasons.
0: that. Are they live? Yeah, they. It was so bad. You have to be in that space to understand what I'm talking about. Yeah. Okay, so you're you're helping sites with Site Vault. We're gonna get into that, but you're very passionate about sites pushing back against CRO sponsor mandates. Yeah. Where did that Where did that stem from? It must have been like one or two key instances where that turned yeah. you on that role.
1: So because my site, I, I think that I just have like a lot of site privilege. <laughs> if that makes you're, sense. You're
0: privileged. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what do you mean?
1: Great sites that were really efficient. They knew what they uh, needed to do. They, you know, when an auditor came, they were like, all right, here's what we got to do. When the FDA, when the FDA called, they're like, all right, everyone lock down, hunker down. We're going to go. Um, you know, there was no panic. It was hmm. not like. Oh my God, we have to do all this stuff. Um, So we were very streamlined to your point. And I think that like, and I thought about this, I think that my sites also had like big site energy, you know, like they knew that we're doing all this business. And what I like to kind of talk about with sites too is just like in a job interview, they want you to do that study just as much as you want to do that study right? Like they don't want to keep looking for sites. They want a good site. They want quality data. And if you're saying that you're going to provide that for them, then do that, you know, mm-hmm. it, So you, they don't want to keep looking. And if you do it good the first time, they're going to keep coming back to you. Right.
0: But what are some examples of things you pushed back on mm-hmm. that you think are common, Uh, common for other sites to try to emulate if it's appropriate for them?
1: One thing that I hear pretty frequently um, through my site vault training experience is like, well, we can't use this because the sponsor wants us to use this template or they want us to use this software and we already use this software and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, so then don't use it. There are so many instances where the sponsor was like, okay, we have all these templates. We have already written source for you for this study here you go. And we were like, no, we have our own source that we like, which guaranteed has more information on it than your source. And our IP logs, our pharmacist knows them. They're the same for every study. They record all the data that you're already requesting our PK logs, same thing. Like there were some logs or templates that we used for the sponsor. But most of the time, if we had our own, document for it, we were not using theirs because it's just dual work because we were still going to do our own internal for our SOP. We're still going to have to use our own internal copy for our records. So why am I doing double the work just because you asked me to? And I think too, sponsors are asking you to use these templates and use their source or use this because they're trying to cover their butt in an inspection. But if you're already inspection ready and your document has been inspected by another you know auditor or fda inspector then you're it's a win-win you know
0: did you guys have a fda in there like every month
1: <laughs> no but there were i think there were three odd fda audits when i was there
0: oh, okay so in the five-year span
1: three studies
0: yeah that's actually good that's pretty reassuring then if you're watching i mean you can get audited at any time, even with one study. But they had 100, st- 100 studies uh, some years. And in Savannah's time there in five-year period, they've only had three FDA audits. So It's not bad. <laughs> Those are good odds, <laughs> guys. Um, and I'm guessing you guys were high enrollers in, in a lot of studies. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: We, before Pfizer stopped doing CNS studies, we were a primary site for them.
0: I see. So pushback, I get it, the source, you know, but these days, the majority of sponsors make you create your own source, I think for the same reason you brought up, like liability. They'll either go one extreme or the other, they'll make their own source, but most of the time they say, sites, you make your source, and that's really CYA, so that, because I had one sponsor back when I started, a big one, everybody knows who they are they created source for all their sites There was like a hundred sites and then they forgot to put a key point that they needed to capture and the oh. fda audit all, all the sites were using this so they the study was like basically wasted waste yeah. of time
1: that happened so many times i mean yeah source is hard
0: source, source is hard. hard it's it's really hard um it's something that we especially as a small site like we have to re- refine when we discover inefficiencies in it yeah. um and it's like a team effort so including the series so what what are some other things like we had one CRA recently tell us we had a deviation when we thought it wasn't and the PI thought it wasn't and the coordinator doesn't know what to do like what are you know is that another source of pushback
1: Oh, 100%. Um, There were f- very few occasions where I had a CRA that knew the protocol better than I did. Like, not trying to toot my own horn, but I don't feel like now with the workload that CRAs have, they don't know that protocol. You know the protocol. You're the one with the patient. You're the one doing the visit. If you feel like it's not a deviation and your PIs, you know, all about it, what we would do at that point... The PI would reach out to the project manager, copy the CRA on it and like have a, an open discussion about it and just say like, you know, here's why we don't think it's a deviation. Here's what it says in the protocol. Here's what we have recorded. And just kind of get that written. that it's but not a deviation.
0: Maybe someone's watching from a site. Maybe it's me um, and saying, hey, you know what, Savannah, that's nice, but we're not a big site. You know, we're a startup. We don't want to cause problems or make noise and piss I don't off think the sponsors.
1: problems though. you're trying to you're trying to conduct the study as efficiently and with as much quality as possible. I often find that especially when you go to the project managers or your medical monitor, they appreciate the question. they appreciate you looking into it further rather than just saying like, all right, well my CRA told me that I have to do this, so I guess I'm gonna do <laughs> it. You yeah. know.
0: That's our attitude. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the the pushback we listen to is when our PI is adamant about something. Like there was one instance, and this is this PI's first study, where he didn't document something properly. And I, I knew and so I told the CRA and I told the PI and PI said nope, this is how I do it. So he actually just had a like a 20 minute discussion with the CRA. And they worked it out. But that's the only time that we'll have we'll allow pushback is if our PI wants to do it. Otherwise, as a new site, we feel like, well, you know, this is what the sponsor wants. And at the end of the day, it's what we're going to do. <laughs> I,
1: mean, I would recommend at that point, if that's kind of what your internal process is, like loop in the PI, like mm-hmm. any time. So when we would have monitor visits, our PI would go down at the same day, same time every day and talk to monitors and do his rounds basically and if there had come up in the morning when i was checking in with my monitor some issue that i felt like was stupid and i didn't want to do it because it didn't make sense Mm -hmm. i would report it immediately to my p like hey just fyi the cra is saying this i think this when you go down this afternoon like let's go down together and like talk it out because i don't think that we should do this and you know you get a certain level of respect from your PI and from your CRA like you're acknowledging that you know what you're doing you know yeah yeah I think a lot of sites even the small ones you know a lot more than you think you do like again my experience like kind of looking back now even when I was a first year second year coordinator I knew a lot more than I think that I thought I did
0: yep you do uh and whenever you start a new study regardless of how many years of experience you have in the industry you're naive to that study just like sure, right. a brand new coordinator you know you guys yep. both have a blank slate new study you guys both learn the protocol
1: yeah yeah
0: yeah i like having engaged pi's even the ones that are like very really passionate about how they feel and in most cases they're actually right because they're these mm-hmm. are like real world clinicians who do these assessments like in real world.
1: Oh my God, that's my favorite when the monitor notes something in like a medical history and they're like, that doesn't, that's not how that works. And it's like, are you a doctor?
0: Yeah, get (laughs) this. I'm not going to say what study obviously, but we have a deviation because the patient took vitamin A, right? Just the one you could buy at Sprouts or Whole Foods. Yeah, that's a deviation because technically the way they wrote the protocol but, but they weren't referring to over-the-counter supplements, but they included it in there because they didn't say they're allowed. But they're, they're really talking about prescription class of those drugs.
1: Right.
0: I'm not going to say what it is, but it's basically yeah. vitamin A derivatives. They didn't mean actual like over-the-counter vitamin A, but technically it's deviation. So the PI was arguing about this too. And it's funny because this is like where real world meets research and there's like some friction between the those two um, industries or subsets of healthcare. Oh um, okay, so it's okay to push back managing workload. So when when you got to Viva, like, and then Site Vault, so you had to interview again for the Site Vault role, or mm-hmm. they they recommended that you should do that role.
1: No, so he. Um, The person that interviewed me at Viva had recommended me to the person who was interviewing for the Sight Vault role. I interviewed this, this girl back in May, I think she'd be a really good fit for this role. And then they reached out to me and I did the interview process all over again.
0: And I'm guessing you never heard of Sight Vault at that point.
1: No. And actually, at that point, Sight Vault was only like a year old.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, people still don't really hear about it. that's why Viva's like sponsoring me a few other podcasts because they want to get the word out. But so what did you think when you first heard the concept, like coming from a site? You knew I'm, you had to know the adoption was going to be tough.
1: Yeah. So I thought like when I so for most positions at Viva, you have to do what they call a candidate exercise. So I had to go into the system, learn it and then present it as mm-hmm. part of my interview. So when I was doing that exercise and I was playing around with sight ball, I was like, this is really cool. But also we used real time at my sites. Like, how is this different? You know, or
0: you used real time. Um, mm-hmm. Was yes. it for ereg or just CTMS or what?
1: ereg We use cortical okay. conductor for
0: gotcha. Gotcha. more
1: CTMS related items.
0: So how was it that like, what did you think when you compared in your head? another system you're already using what what were you starting to think about site vault
1: i i kind of thought like this could be expanded more like this and and as i was doing it, i was like we should be doing this i was like giving them notes on their own product yeah i was like i'm the coordinator and this is how this goes and this is how that goes and then um you know i obviously got the job and then i started giving that feedback to our product team and they're like no yeah and I was like, why like i'm telling you this is how people do it in real work in the real world and they're like yeah but that's on paper and i was like so don't you think huh. it should like, be the same and they were like no <laughs> which i yeah. think is such a beautiful kind of revolution to the industry like we're moving into this electronic space whether it be with sight vault or whatever other product you're using you have new things you can like right like you're using e-signature that has a timestamp, just like you did with eSource. If if, for those of you that had studies with eSource, like if you made a mistake on eSource, are you going to go in and Alcoa and like cross it out? Or are you going to let the audit trail do its thing and show like, oh yeah, there was a mistake. Mm -hmm. Like the same thing kind of applies here. Like just because you're passing this document around to everyone in the building to sign as proof of oversight or proof of training you might not have to do that in an electronic system. Like if they went in and like viewed it, you're going to see that they went in and viewed it, you know?
0: I have a few now that you've been at Viva for what going on three, almost three years. Wow. So now that you've been at Viva for almost three years, you've, you're out you obviously way more familiar with SiteVault than you were when you started. What do you have to say to coordinators, let's say veteran coordinators, I know many that are watching right now listening that say, no, I'm never going to switch from paper. It's just, I trust it. I I know what I'm doing. I don't want to change my ways. What what do you say to them?
1: Even like, forget about my Viva experience. Just from my site experience, the industry will shift. There will be a time, just like when EDC went from paper mm-hmm. to electronic. There will be a time that's going to get cut off, and then you're going to sink or swim. <laughs> so, I mean, if be...
0: you're if you're going to retire within the next five years, maybe you don't have to worry about it then. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. But your I... next generation, they're they're coming up.
1: Yeah, I think I think it might be sooner than that. Even
0: wow, you think so? Kind you think? Of. You think? Then do you have like? I'm, I'm gonna put you on the spot, but like, like back of the napkin math. What do you think the numbers are of like sites that are using? I have no clue, but what are the num? What do you think the number are of sites that have adopted either eReg or eSource?
1: Definitely in the thousands.
0: But do you think it's like still less than fifty percent of sites? Or you think it's close?
1: I. I would be curious to know the actual number because I do think it might be close because I'd be curious too. I know that sponsors are already electronic
0: mm-hmm.
1: like they're not using paper
0: right They're using <laughs> ETMFs so when the right. sites that are using paper they scan them right yeah. So then they get digitized at the sponsor side but at the site side they could still be paper
1: and I mean from my view the background, and my site background, I know what our product is doing. And I don't know if you've seen demos or like looked on our website about Study Connect, but that's coming Oh yeah, and that is gonna be pushed from sponsors. So even if you don't wanna use an electronic regulatory system, you're gonna be pushed to use some sort of electronic document exchange. So why not just do it and then have both?
0: Why not use your own, get the free one. Yeah, the industry, the, one of the industry leaders as far as vendors is concerned, um, and get added to that biz dev list. You know how Viva keeps a list of sites that use Site Vault, yeah. that's for internal purposes only, but sponsors can see. Like, hey, this site, this site in Yuma uses it. Oh, okay, maybe they can give them a study. It's just an added benefit. I think the biz dev part is so underrated.
1: I mean, I don't want to make this like a sales page for Site Vault, but I mean, I obviously like it. I use it every day. um, We're starting
0: to use it. We're starting to use it. Um, I just hired a new coordinator yesterday. And so it's our third one. And we're we're still going to be using eSource. So we use Creo for eSource. And we've been using Creo for the eReg because it's part of it. But we're going to start using Viva because it's free. We're going to transition the eReg as a backup first a backup to our Creo Ereg, but ultimately we might just start using SiteVault because of that study connect feature, honestly. I think if enough sponsors adopt that, it's just gonna make sense to use that as well.
1: I mean it's definitely looking that way. That's sort of like what I was saying. I don't think it's gonna be, you know, five, ten years. I think it's be like three Wow
0: wow. Hmm. I don't know. I think it's long a little longer.
1: I just, I just think the other side of the industry outside of site, like sites, I feel like are the only ones using paper right now. Yeah. Like they're like Flintstones. They're, yeah, they're, just, they're just behind the curve, <laughs> but it will catch up to them.
0: Yeah. We got to do a part two on a lot of these topics, but mainly why you left the site because you didn't leave because of the pandemic, you know, you left. Because of burnout.
1: Yeah, I was So exhausted. maybe
0: we do one on CRC burnout. Sure. Next. Like an entire, I said we can do an hour on that. And I'm super curious about that as somebody who hires and tries to retain stuff. Yeah. Do you want I to have... give them a cliffhanger? What's sure. one thing they could have done differently to keep you?
1: Um. Lessen the pressure. Like the enrollment pressure, you know, maybe instead of making me screen five patients a day, maybe just like, let me do one (laughs) every once in a while.
0: (laughs) Five a day? Jeez. Okay. By yourself?
1: We were crushing screens.
0: Five a day is, I mean, those psych screenings are like four hours. Yeah. That's 20 hours of work in a day. (laughs) Wow.
1: Signing an ICF with a Parkinson's patient is for Oh hours. my
0: gosh. That's an example where like e consent might actually be useful, you know, because you're like clicking instead of initialing you're just clicking. Oh,
1: hundred
0: percent. Yeah, yeah. All right, that's a good cliffhanger, Savannah. We pre- <laughs> we're gonna get into we need to unpack that for if nothing else, my own selfish reasons.
1: This is like my clinical research therapy session. Therapy.
0: Yeah, let's get it all out, Savannah. Um, <laughs> thank you, Savannah. Big things from Savannah. Um, everybody go check her LinkedIn. The link to her LinkedIn is underneath this video. Thank you so much also for being active on my live streams when I do go live. You're always answering people's yeah. questions. About, like That's really cool. Uh, that's how I actually got to know who you are. I'm like, yeah. who is this person? I asked Abby, and she's like, oh, yeah, that's Savannah. (laughs) So thank you for that.
1: Yeah, anytime.
0: Everybody go connect. Like, subscribe, comment, share. Catch you guys later. Stay tuned for part two. Bye-bye.